Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today we are joined by Oren Weisfeld of Yahoo Sports, Sportsnet, uh, .ca, Complex, The Guardian. Uh, I'm, I feel like I'm missing a bunch, but uh, thanks so much, Oren, for taking the time and coming on. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Alex. Really appreciate it. I've been uh, eagerly anticipating this for a while. We've had plans to do it for a while, so I'm happy that we we finally made it happen now. Uh, I'm really excited for this as well. And um, I first want to ask a little bit about your career. When did you first think you might want to pursue a career in, in sports journalism? Yeah, it was like halfway through my degree at Western. I studied media there. And um, I don't even know if it was then, but I, I needed like a hobby. So I started writing at the university paper and the only thing I knew was sports. So I just like started covering some of the sports teams there. And but it was really just a hobby. I wanted to like meet new people and get out of my comfort zone a little bit. Um, but then the more I did that, um, and then really I started writing at Raptors Republic, <laughs> which was like, which is I think everyone knows a very popular Raptors blog. And that's where I really learned to write about sports. And I just had like the autonomy to write about whatever I wanted kind of and however often I wanted. And that was really when I started to be like, huh, maybe like sports journalism is actually a career path that I could try to throw myself at as risky and silly as that might be. <laughs> and that's kind of how it happened. And, and with that, uh, when you went to Raptors Republic, what was like, Did when, was there a moment when you were there that you felt, okay, this is the time I want to now make it full time in terms of I'm going to put all my chips in the bath, uh, in the basket and, and go all in. Yeah, it's a good question. Like, I think I had wanted to for a little while, but monetarily that wasn't an option. So like I worked uh restaurant jobs and did freelance writing on the side for a few years. And then the pandemic hit and uh i got serb and and it was the pandemic so i'm like okay i have no other option but to write right now like i can't have a job outside like outside of my house so i basically started going full-time during the pandemic wow. and the real like moment that pushed me to really want to pursue it in a way where i was like i'm putting all my eggs into this basket like this is what i want to do was i guess towards the end of the pandemic, I guess, I went to like Victoria, BC in 2021 to cover the Canadian mm, yep. men's national team qualifying for the Olympics. It was like a last chance qualifying tournament. That was the year they had like RJ Barrett and Andrew Wiggins and they lost to the Czech Republic in the oh, semifinals. Yeah. yeah Raptors Republic sent me over there. So I I'm thankful to them for that. Um, and that was my first time interviewing pro athletes in person. And it was just such an exciting experience, um, even though like they didn't allow crowds until like the last game. It was game. still very pandemic. -y, but it was just like watching international basketball up close, getting to interview some of those guys that I'd look up to looked up to for a while. That's when I was like, oh, yeah, I really want to do this. And And what was it like for you just to. Like, who did you interview um, at that at, at that event? And, and what was it like? Were you nervous? Yeah, I was very nervous. Uh, I was a mess. I didn't I didn't have like nearly as many questions prepared, like as I should have. So I would ask like one and then 
just not have any follow-ups ready and like other reporters like Grange was there yeah. and he would like he would just have like six questions ready to go and I was just like damn like I gotta I gotta be more prepared um and it was a mess FIBA is a mess like they're not very organized so like when when they lost everyone was shocked of course I was shocked I thought they were winning that tournament so the players go back to the locker room it's like a real and then we're like so who are we gonna talk to you know and so like none of the players want to talk to us and then like Corey Joseph comes out and like gives us like each person gets in like maybe one question and it's just like yeah so I don't even remember what your question was but yeah. it was uh They're cool I was yeah it, it was definitely like amateur hour for me I learned a lot um I was I was pretty unprepared, but still talking to like Andrew Wiggins and RJ Barrett and like especially after wins, like those guys, that was just really cool experience. And also like finding a niche in the industry was important because writing about the Raptors, you know there's like a million people who do that. So going there, I felt like that's when people started to like follow my work because they were mm-hmm. like, Oh, this person's covering Team Canada. And there's not many people doing that. Yeah. And I want to go off that a little bit because I know you said that when you write, you you look for specific stories, especially like with people and ideas that are maybe unrepresented in traditional media. What kind of stories do you look for when you when you're writing? Um, I don't know, like it's it's a broad question. It's hard to answer because for a while I was covering like the last two seasons that I've been on the Raptors be pretty heavily and they're doing stuff that's like not traditionally covered in the media is like any idea you have that people haven't written about like that's great like if you can find a Raptors idea that no one is writing about at the moment on that beat then you're happy because everything is being written about it's really hard to find something like that but outside of like the Raptors speaking more broadly I think I just try to find stories that like um, are are about not just what's happening like on the field, but off it. So stories related to like the culture of sports, the politics, the business of sports. Like I find those things really fascinating when you can like find that intersection and and, and take it. Yeah. Beyond like the X's and O's. Uh, that, that's the stuff that I really find interesting to write about. Can you give us an example of a story that was along those lines? Yeah. Yeah. There's been a lot like in my career, I've always kind of dotted through them, but I've never had the opportunity because I've never had the opportunity to like write full time about this kind of stuff or even regularly because there's just not as much opportunity as there is to like cover the Raptors, for example. Mm -hmm. And like, but, but lots like, like writing about, Precious Achua and Christian Coloco, you you naturally write a lot about and learn a lot about the history of, you know, grassroots basketball in Africa and how those guys made it out. And and kind of like through those guys' stories, again, I I just learned and and spoke about how the infrastructure of basketball in Africa is developing and how it helped those guys, how how that development helped those guys. Um, I wrote a story about the Blue Jays and their connection to like Latin Canadian fans. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an example I've written about like the NBA and, and their vaccine issues. And mm. 
stuff like that is an example, like so, some more political athletes and ones guys who have speak spoken out against like America's government, yeah. stuff like that. Um, those would be examples. And and for you, what would you say if you if you talk to a young journalist or or even to me, if you could give me some advice, what advice would you give to to journalists and, and, and especially in the sports media landscape in, in the industry? What advice would you give? Uh, do what you love because yeah, it's, it's not linear and it, it can be unrewarding. So you never want to do something just because you think this is the path to make it right. Because you might do that thing and be great at it, but still a job might never open in that specific thing. So it's like, my only advice is like, the only way you're going to stay sane in this thing and like, because you do have to grind and you are going to be underpaid for the first however many years you do it is like if you're going to be underpaid and whatever at least be doing something that you actually love and are really passionate about um and that's that's the best advice i really think i can give because there are no tricks there is no like secret formula it's just about grinding and practicing and like for me, I just wrote as much as I could and, and just like I was not a good writer naturally. I just wrote a lot and got better at it slowly. But I loved writing about sports. So that was like it wasn't the worst job in the world to have, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that that's that's the only thing I can say. Well, I want to move a little bit to some of the pieces that you've been working on it. And you've written a bit about the WNBA, which I want to touch on. And you had a really interesting piece um, the WNBA's power lies with super teams, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. And, and you look about how the, the basically the landscape of the WNBA currently, and there's essentially two big super teams in the league. For you, how healthy and sustainable is, is the league right now? I think it's in a great place, the W. I'm pretty excited for this season. I think there was just a thing that came out about like opening weekend, uh, record viewership really and yeah it it feels very obvious that this season is kind of like a uh a breaking off point in a way for the league where i think it's really going to accelerate its growth because i mean super teams i don't think they're very sustainable but they do as much as us as fans might not like them they do help leagues historically like when you look at the NBA and I, I know people might be like, why are you always comparing the WNBA to the NBA? Well, they're comparable leagues. I hate to yeah, tell you. Yeah, yeah. So like <laughs> LeBron in Cleveland versus Steph KD Warriors, like as much as we as fans were always like, this is I'm so sick of these teams meeting in the finals year after year. We know the regular, you know, we know what's going to yeah. happen. Those finals did more ratings than any finals previous since like the 90s Jordans. And that's just like what super teams are. They attract casual fans who aren't like big WNBA or NBA fans and bring them into the sport. So I think that's what these super teams in the W are going to do is bring more casual fans into the sport. But in terms of like sustainability and like how much those teams have actually won recently, like since the Steph KD Warriors, we don't have that much uh, history of like, if you look at the NBA playoffs, it's actually like continuity that is winning, not super mm -hmm. teams. The Lakers mm -hmm. Nuggets series was a perfect example of that. Um, but the, the W is in a really exciting phase for sure. 
And and with that, there's there was a WNBA preseason game in, in Toronto about two weeks ago with the Chicago Sky and the Minnesota Lynx. And obviously Bridget Carlton, who's on the women's Canadian women's uh, basketball team, uh, plays for the Lynx. And for you, I know you've written about how there's some murmurs that a WNBA team might come to Toronto. How likely is that? And and what would it mean for women's basketball in Canada if, if that were to happen? Yeah, I think it's quite likely in the next few years. Um, the W is definitely ready to expand. It's on the precipice of expanding, probably 2025. And, you know, I don't know if Toronto will be one of the first teams to get that expansion. Like, they'll probably be one or two off the bat. But they have to be in that mix. But just logically, like, we're a great sports market. And if the league... The W wants to grow globally. They're very upfront about that. And if you want to grow globally and you want to expand, Toronto kind of hits both, you mm-hmm. know, th- things really well. So I I do think it is likely to happen in the next few years. Um, when we talk about like the growth of basketball in Canada, the men are actually like, it's very exciting for like the guys that are in the NBA right now. But like when you look at like college and stuff, the women are way ahead of the men. In terms of like the next few years, who's going to be like making it to the WNBA versus the NBA? I think <laughs> we have way more exciting women's basketball prospects in Canada. Wow. When you look at like Aaliyah Edwards, mm-hmm. you know, shit, shy day Wilson. Um, I, there's a ton. There's, there's like, I mean, um, the girl just committed to Duke, uh, Toby Fournier, who, who's a dunker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Sandra Prosper, who's the sister of Olivier Maxence Prosper, she's she's like a national team member. She's like 16, she's playing for the senior women's team. So we have a lot of really exciting prospects. So a WNBA team would be great because, I mean, hopefully some of them would be able to play in Toronto. That would be really exciting to have a homegrown talent here. But, I mean, uh, I, there's... I've I've written a lot about like this and at complex, mm-hmm. I had a big story about what these things could do for women's basketball, but like representation is a big thing. Like we already have some of these women now making it to the WNBA who girls in Canada can look up to, but to have a team where they could go to games regularly and just like see that product up front. I think that's how you get inspired to play the game and stick with it and stuff like that. So yeah, I think I think it would definitely help the growth of the game. I have a kind of interesting uh, theoretical question for you because um, Canada just got a, a men's domestic basketball league in, in the C, CBL. Sorry, um, and for you, what would be more important for the game? And hopefully, we get both. Just for the record, but to have a what, what would be more important: a women's domestic league like the CBL or a WNBA NBA team in Canada, just for the growth of the game. Yeah, it's a good question. It's hard for me to say which one would be more important because they would help in different ways. But I do think we're way closer to a WNBA team. So like realistically, that is the one I would be targeting Mm -hmm. first. I think a domestic league, we do have the framework of the CBL that is a great framework for a women's league to go off of. Um, But I think those leagues are more for... You know, it's you're not gonna get like Bridget Carlton playing in that league. Yeah, she's gonna play in Spain in her off season if she wants. To, like, 
it's it's going to be a lower level of talent and that's great for like women who say go to college and then want to go playing. play overseas and then are like okay can i really stay in this basketball thing and then they transfer jobs because it's not a safe like it's just not a, a safe career whereas if we had a domestic league which i've seen in the cbl with tons of people i know is like now they came back to toronto and like they're or canada and they're continuing to play basketball and make a living doing it but they don't have any real aspirations to go to the nba yeah right it's yeah. just like it, mm -hmm. it's just a lower tier league yeah. so i think it would be big for more jobs in the industry but it wouldn't attract the key nurses of the world yeah. and so in that way i i don't know like a WNBA team would be pretty cool as well yeah. And I want to ask before I go to the Raptors, because you mentioned briefly about Bridget Carlton having to go over to Spain to, to make ends meet uh, alongside her playing, obviously, for the Minnesota Lynx. And you had a piece about Brianna Stewart and how she has to go, who's like won the MVP and the WNBA, one of the best players in the league and how she has to go overseas. How long will it be in your mind until the NBA plays pays its players enough where they don't have to go overseas to make a living um, in your mind? Not long. And the responsibility also falls on corporate sponsors because uh, you look at NBA players, a lot of their income comes from shoe deals and stuff like that. Like it's not only coming from the NBA. So if corporate, like, you know, uh, Candace Parker is a good example of like, she doesn't play overseas anymore because she has this, media gig with Turner where she covers the NBA in her off season. So, and, and Brianna Stewart has the signature shoe now with Puma. So like if more and more of that stuff starts happening, they'll be able to supplement their incomes in other ways besides going overseas. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the average WNBA player, I still think for the next few years, they'll be going over there, but I don't think it'll be that long before salaries are good enough in the W and the league will probably continue to extend its season. Like this is a 40 game season. It's bigger than last season. Yeah. So as the league grows, I just think, yeah, sense. that'll be more of a viable option for a lot of women. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I want to go a little bit to the NBA and, and I have a little fun question for you before we go to the Raptors. If you were the NBA commissioner for one day, what rule would you change? It's mm, a good one. Okay, I would allow like five seconds in the key or, wow. or take away the three in the key rule because huh. A defenses have no shot in the modern NBA and I want to give them help. And like hand checking is an, like that's a theoretical. I think that would change the game too much yeah. if you allowed hand checking. But if you allow bigs to stay stationed in the paint, it would just completely change the game because um, everything would change. Like you just wouldn't be able to collapse a defense as easily and then spray it out to three and then shoot a million threes. Yeah. The structure would just change. If, if you could station a big guy in the paint for longer, it would just help defenses so much. So I think that's because I've written a lot about like how the offense has just gone, gone too far. And I really like, reached out to people about like how are ideas to fix this hand checking is the biggest one it sounds great to say the the refs should just let more go more physicality go which they do in the playoffs but that's hard to enforce and like 
make a permanent thing. Um, so I'll say five in the key. <laughs> That's interesting. Wait, so you'd have, so they could stay in the key. So you're not getting rid of it like FIBA. You're just having it at five seconds. Right. Or maybe I would get rid of it if five didn't make enough of a difference. Because I already think threes don't get called nearly like guys are stationed there way more than three seconds. So maybe it wouldn't make enough of a difference. And we'd have to just go to FIBA. Bigs can stay in the paint as long as they want. But something around that rule. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like I, I think that's what I like about FIBA is just the the no defensive three seconds because it makes it the defenses is just so much it feels like you're playing more on the park than it does like on 2k a little bit if that makes sense so yeah yeah uh, yeah um i want to ask a little bit about the raptors obviously you covered them day in and day out and 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 looking back at last year quickly what do you think went wrong with for the raptors last year was it coaching was it personnel was it management i feel it's probably all of the above but what do you think went wrong last year for the raptors yeah, it's hard to say in like a sentence. Um, but it's okay. You can take. I, yeah, I side more towards there is a lot of talent on this team. So I guess I side towards the front office more. Not okay. not like that everything was Nick Nurse's fault because it wasn't. He's a good coach, but I do side towards like there is a lot of talent on this team, and people tend to forget that because last season looked as bad as it did. But it, it's on the players and the coaching staff to like figure out how that talent looks on a daily basis and to establish a hierarchy and role definition. Those were the things that I felt were missing from the Raptors last season. It was like, there's a lot of good players, but all of them think they're the best or all of them think they should be the number one option. And it's like, it's on the coaches to like establish that hierarchy, but it's also on the players to accept it. And I don't think we had nearly enough humility in that locker room um, from the players half to, to actually sacrifice and to like, to do what was best for the team and all that stuff. So my blame, it's not, it's not a perfect roster by any means. There are still things that have to happen to take it to like a champion level roster but you're telling me that the Miami Heat's roster is significantly better than the Raptors? Like, no. no. It's Jimmy coaching, better. it's role definition. Exactly. They have a better superstar for sure, and that's hugely important when it comes to taking the next step to get to get, getting to, like, a finals. But just for, like, regular season stuff, you don't need that. Like, Siakam is a great regular season star. Yeah. You need buy-in around him and depth around him and – figuring out how to put players who are limited in roles where they can excel and not show their limitations. So my blame falls on the players and the coaching staff more than the front office. That's how I see it. Um, that doesn't mean a coach can just come in and fix everything because there seems like something in the mix up of the players isn't right. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to make some real changes in terms of the personnel to make it make more sense in terms of the hierarchy and everything like that. And with that, <clears throat> of course, uh, Nick Nurse got fired. Um, and so for you, I know that they've they've brought uh, they've had a big net in terms of who they've been looking at. For you, out of the leading candidates that seem to be rumored to the job, who would be your preferred choice to be the next coach of the Toronto Raptors? Yeah, I think. Um, I'll just start off by saying that like coaching is changing in the league. And I think what you need more than X's and O's 
that stuff's important, but I think coaches can learn that stuff and get better at it. And I think the biggest thing you need is like a people's person, like someone who connects to the players, who can get them to buy into certain roles and sacrifice and who guys want to play for. And just like a really like enthusiastic, like upbeat person who people like, like that is to me the biggest thing because a coach's job has become more about managing like multi-million dollar people's personalities than it has about like Nick is a great X's and O's coach. Did it matter last season? No. Cause he, he, he didn't have buy-in from the players. Like they weren't willing or, or able to execute what he was doing. So it didn't matter how smart of a basketball person he is. What mattered was how well did he connect to players? And I think the answer was pretty obviously not well, Mm -hmm. especially young players. Because the okay. league is getting younger. Scotty Barnes walks into the league with a $10 million a year contract. How do you get that guy to be a fourth option? Yeah. Nick couldn't do it. But but like that's the hard part. And that's where like the coach I want is the guy who like connects to people. Um, on top of obviously putting them in roles to succeed. The name that I like the most is probably Sergio Scariolo. The, oh wow. Okay. Yep. Just because, like, everywhere he's gone, he's had an insane amount of success. So it's like, I want to bet on that guy and see if he can have that success in the NBA. Like, this is a guy that just, like, somehow wins EuroLeague with Spain every year and, like, won an Olympics yeah. with Spain. And, like, n- these are not insanely talented rosters. Um, and, and I watched a lot of that Spanish team um, this last summer at Eurobasket when they won... You know, that was the team with uh, Wancho and his yeah. brother. And they played so hard and they played on such a string. They were so connected. And this is like, they're like, yeah, those guys have played together before, but like, that's a short training camp into competition. It's not like this is an NBA team where like they're together every day. So, Sergio, I don't know about him personally, but just the track record, I think, is really impressive. And I think there's something to a guy that comes from outside the NBA and he's not going to put up with the bull. Can I swear? Yeah, you can. You can. The bullshit of like NBA drama, like, like Mm -hmm. I need this. I need this. Like Sergio's coming from Spain. He's like, nah, you're getting this and everyone's getting this. I think there's something healthy to like outside NBA personality, not like, subscribing to all these beliefs that we hold like like superstar treatment of course like these things are going to happen regardless but a little less of it um and monty williams is the other guy who i'd like with that my question is just that you mentioned that you want a people's person that gets the players but if scar scario i can't say his name uh sergio comes in and uh and is just like very upfront will that push off players like maybe a scotty barnes who's like well you know don't tell me what to do. Like, is that something you worry about? Cause like, I think about Monty Williams as well. And I, I think he sounds like a great coach, but there's that, it sounds as though he never talked to Deandre Aiden all last summer and they had all that, which didn't seem like that's, you want your coach to be communicative, sorry, with, with the, the, the player. So I, I find it really interesting on that point. Yeah. I think though, both of those coaches, like almost all their players love playing with them. Um, 
DeAndre Ayton is definitely the exception. Him and Monty did not get along, but like that—that that just depends. Yeah. Where do you fall on that? Do you blame no, and or I, Monty? Yeah, I don't think it's all uh, it's all Monty Williams' fault on on that one. I yeah. ju- I just mean you'd think they'd he'd send a text and be like, "Hey, you're hey. right." Yeah, you're like, right. Right. you're right. If that makes any sense, so I, I definitely yeah I definitely agree on that. No, I think there's like that. That's a bit of a red flag. Everyone has their imperfections. Like Becky Hammond, she looked like a perfect candidate, and then the stuff comes out with Derek Hamby and like her pregnancy, and you know Becky just got suspended for a couple of games. So yeah. everyone has their issues. Sergio, like, I I sh- I don't mean to say he's gonna like just not listen to players. I think he is. Uh, I think he does connect with players, and I I don't think he would come in like so hot. Yeah, like I'm saying, I just think he has like fundamentally in his basketball brain, it comes from a different place than American mm-hmm. basketball culture. It yeah. comes from European basketball culture, and there's certain things there that I think are actually healthy and could be healthy in an NBA locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, with either of these guys, I, I can't actually say how well they're going to connect to the Raptors players. That is the job of Masai. Yeah, and with that perfect segue, because I wanted to ask you about him and Bobby and, and the management group, because they always talk about championships or bust and and kind of it doesn't matter, you know, what was it playing for what, right? And then they did it this year. But what is the path for this team to become a lead again? Like, it, do they just need a new coach and a couple tweaks? Like, I don't see it that way. But what do you think is the path for this team to become elite? Like championship contenders elite? Yeah, like I'm not saying next year, obviously, I think that'd be pretty uh, going out on a limb. But like, what's like, do they need to rebuild? Do they need to retool? Like, what's their way of, of becoming kind of a really, really good team again? Yeah, I think I think they certainly need to retool in that last year was just proof that this mix of on court and off court personalities is not that clean like the Scotty Pascal Pirtle front court is not a clean front court. There's no shooting. It can probably work if you have in your backcourt two great shooters. Um, so either you're going to have to change the front court or the backcourt. Like change has to come. I think for sure. I think, you know, it's a combination of things. Development has to come from Scotty and Precious. And then... And then you have to hit around the edges. Like these things are really important, but uh, like Otto Porter, for example, like that was a really important missed opportunity. But however, if the Raptors hit on the 13th pick and they hit on their tech, their mid-level exception, like that's all of a sudden a pretty deep team, right? If you Mm -hmm. add two more guys and let's just say they ran it back. Like I don't expect them to, but I'm just saying like there are ways where you can quickly add depth but you got to hit and it's not easy to hit on the 13th pick or $10 million. Um, But yeah, I, I, again, I believe in the front office, but that's kind of their way to rebuild some of the stuff. But once you do that, once you rebuild guys values, once you rebuild the depth, then I think this team will have to make one of those consolidation trades for them to take that step to championship contenders. And that's like, the reason I'm not so worried about the Raptors, I think is because if you look at a team like Cleveland, who everyone mm-hmm. is very excited about their future, yeah. well, could the Raptors not have made the same deal for Donovan Mitchell, leveraged their whole future, got Donovan Mitchell and being right where they are? They could have. They didn't want to do it for that player, but they could have. Yeah. 
The Raptors have a lot of picks. Again, if they rebuild some of the value on the roster, I think eventually they'll have to go after a superstar if they ever want to reach like championship contention. Um, But I think the first step in that process is just like rebuilding guys' values by having a team out there that makes sense. And and with that, there's been some rumors about Portland and the third overall pick and maybe being linked to Siakam or OG and Anobi. What do you make of that? And, and in my mind, I think that'd be a smart thing to do. Obviously, depends what else, if it's just straight up or whatever. But what yeah. do you make of that rumor? And would you do, would you entertain that if you're the Raptors? I would. I think, again, this team needs to, a retool and the the most obvious way to do that is trading either OG or Pascal because they're the two guys with the most value on the team other than Scotty. So I would be open to trading one of those guys, but you know, you have to trade those guys for something exciting. You can't just trade them for like future picks and like yeah. sell a fan base on that. So to me, Scoot Henderson is very exciting. If he's there at three, I would be excited to do a, some sort of framework with Portland. The other guy is Jalen Brown. Um, mm-hmm. I think yeah. Boston and him clearly have some clash. So if he is available for one of those wings, that's another guy I would be very excited to bring in and like re there all, all of a sudden you have like an offensive engine who you can play through a little bit more. I think like, like, like let's just say OG for Jalen, right? Like, the Raptors defense obviously drops off there, but their offense makes a whole lot more sense, I think, just in terms of the amount of guys who can take it off the dribble and create something for you. So those are the type of frameworks that would make me excited as a Raptors fan. Um, or like one of these, or you just wait until one of these superstars gets un- uh, upset and trade for them. Like, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, I don't, I don't think he's a guy I really want to put all my no, chips in for. I don't. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, he's an example of a guy who's probably going to be on the market. Trey Young, like, yeah. that's a guy who I actually would be behind. Would I like you, Trey Young. Would you do a Siakam for Trey Young straight up? Like, I... <laughs> um, Probably. Probably. Yeah. I you would I, have I... to trade Fred in that situation, I think, but... Yeah, yeah. But uh, Trey is a lot younger than Siakam. That's probably the biggest thing, right? Is like Trey is like 22 or something. Siakam's like 28, 29. So yeah, probably. Um, But just like, yeah, those are kind of the things that Mm -hmm. you got to watch for. No, Embiid is the guy I really want. Give it another year. He's going to want out of there. Yeah. When Harden goes to Houston and then he's stuck. Yeah, no, that he might even do it this summer, honestly. Like if Houston, if they, or if James Harden leaves, like, yep. I don't know why he'd stay. No offense to Tyrese yep. Maxey, but um, yeah, yeah. Maxey's uh, another guy I've thought about. OG for Maxey is another framework that I think wow. makes sense. If Harden that's, stays, they need a wing. That's they really kind of like couldn't even start Maxey this season because they want like Melton or Peach, PJ on the floor. So. That makes a That's lot of sense. That's something that would make me excited too. Yeah, I think I think the thing this Raptors team hasn't had, even with Demar and Kyle, was that kind of um, explosive guard, right? That can really take you off the dribble, right? Like I think of Scoot Henderson. That's basically what the kind of player he is. Obviously, I'm not saying he's exactly like Iris Maxi, but that kind of player would be really exciting, especially with Scotty on the wing. Like you already have a wing, so you don't necessarily need 
more. I mean, obviously more the merrier, but um, I want to ask you quickly because the Raptors do have three free agents that hopefully, or I'm sure some of them will probably be re-signed, but what are the chances that like, what, what is most likely to happen with Fred Van Vliet, Jakob Pertl, and Gary Trent? Like, is it any way that all three of them come back? What do you think is the most likely outcome? Um, I think the most likely outcome is Fred and Pertle come back and Gary does not. Yeah. Um, that's just me, like, reading the tea leaves and educated guests. I think Pertle, obviously, they traded for him. They're obviously going to re-sign him. Fred, it's just, unless you have a replacement, there's just no way you can get rid of Fred. He's your only point guard. He's mm-hmm. immensely important to the team. And I think the biggest thing with Gary, if I know anything about the front office, it's that they probably just haven't seen enough development for him from him over the couple of years he's been here, two and a half seasons. Like that's what they're looking for. And that's what they pay guys to do is to develop. Oh. And if you look at the Gary who came to Toronto versus the Gary last season, like it's not that different of a player. Oh. Um so I don't think Gary will be back. Maybe they'll lose him for nothing. Maybe they'll sign and trade him, but Do you think I just don't. I don't see it. And also, he would be coming off the bench, so I don't even know if he would want to come back. Do you think he picks up the option? Because I don't know if he's going to be able to make, maybe on a long-term deal, but he's not going to be making $18 million next year, is he? Like, I I just, or whatever his, it's like in the teens. Like, I don't see him making that kind of money next year. Yeah. It's possible. And I think that would be good for the Raptors, to be frank. Like, if he picks up the option, then they can actually trade him for something or just bring him off the bench. And there's nothing he can really say about it because he's on the final year of a deal and whatever. So, um, but I think he won't just because he probably knows that if he plays somewhere else, even if he goes on a one year deal elsewhere, somewhere he knows he can start. He can boost his value that way rather than playing off the bench for the Raptors. And I want to ask you about Scotty Barnes, because I think for most Raptors fans, probably the most disappointing part of the year was just Scotty Barnes. Not that he had a terrible year, but he didn't really feel as though he improved tremendously or even at all in some ways. What does he need to improve on going into next season? And and where do you see his ceiling at uh, right now as we speak? I think I think his ceiling is still very high. I'm very excited about him still. I know how fans are; it's natural, but like the expectations were always too lofty and unrealistic. Um, guys on the Raptors, just historically, like they're not given; they're asked to like come along slowly offensively. Like they're not just all of a sudden going to be given some huge offensive load and and asked to carry it. So. I think Scotty is every season they're going to give him a little bit more. And that's all you can expect from him is like a little bit more. Um, I think he made big strides defensively this season. Mm -hmm. In terms of what he has to work on, it's somewhat complicated based on who is going to be on the team next season, right? Like if he's the point guard and Fred's not back, then I'll say his ball handling. That's like a huge thing. Like Scotty cannot be a full-time point guard right now. I don't think because he can't he can't deal with pressure of smaller guards um if pascal is there next year scotty probably has to work on his outside shot right yeah. so it really depends on like who is back 
But to me, the biggest thing is like Scotty is like immensely talented. It's about like learning those professional habits to do that every night and like to be a consistent player every night. Because to me, it's not like skill is not his issue as much as um like I don't want to like speculate about anything. It's just like as much as like his you see it you see it in fourth quarters you see him get aggressive right and like take the game into his hands like he needs to have some of that stuff from the beginning of the game 82 games in a season even if he doesn't improve at all his skills if he did that he would just be like a phenomenal player yeah yeah because it was something crazy where his stats just went crazy in the fourth quarter this year i forget i i don't have a specific stat off top of my head but he was definitely way better more efficient would score at a higher rate and everything and now i want to transition a little bit to the nba playoffs and it's been a pretty wild playoffs to be honest uh obviously with the miami heat probably making it to the finals as an eight seed it's only done been ever done once before what have you thought of the playoffs so far and and do you enjoy the parody that it seems to be that that there seems to be in the league currently yeah I do. I've been enjoying this so much. Like these these playoff games, I've been watching a lot every night. Pretty much, there was a streak there. I was watching two games a night for like a week. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy definitely the parody. It's just been great. It's impossible to predict, which is not something you usually say about the NBA, and that just makes it so exciting because yeah, you just don't know how these series are gonna play out personally in terms of my fandom it's gone about as well as it could have with the lakers and celtics both losing (laughs) hopefully the celtics like i i just like like seeing guys who have been at it for a while get their first ring that's Mm. like to me so much more rewarding than seeing like when kd and and steph when kd and the warriors won their second ring together they legit did not celebrate yeah they were just like yep we knew this was coming we're the best team ever like yeah. So when I but compare that to like LeBron getting one in Cleveland or like whatever the Raptors. So yeah. I'm really excited to see either Jimmy or Jokic get their first ring. And obviously Jamal Murray rooting interest there for Team Canada. So I would just be happy with either of those teams winning. And yeah, I've been uh, I've been really enjoying this. And and with that, do you have a finals prediction if let's presume for this podcast that uh um the uh nuggets play the the heat um who do you like in that series and and i feel as though it's like definitely the two best teams in the playoffs so i i'm really really excited like i feel the matchups and everything will be really fun same i've been going back on fourth because i don't know it's a hard one to predict like you don't want to pick against the heat like they've just proven it wrong every time of course like just like the celtics had more talent i think the nuggets have more talent than the heat um, but yeah, it's like there's something just like silly about picking against the Heat at this point. Um, still, I would pick the Nuggets. I, I've been on the Nuggets all season, so I kind of probably it, it just comes from a bias of like, yeah, I, I'm not going to jump off the bandwagon now. But I've been saying it all season that they're the best team in the league or at least in the West. Um, I was shocked everyone picked Phoenix to win that series. That never made any sense. To they me. look Phoenix looked so bad in that first round too. It wasn't even like if they looked gangbusters, maybe, but they didn't look good. Yeah. Well, good against the Clippers. No, I thought the Clippers might win that thing. 
it's like it depends what you believe in and i believe a lot in like the intangibles and like continuity and these chemistry things and a lot of basketball fans just think like talent trumps all and and i understood that with the kd trade but to me it was never they were never going to put a team together in like 10 days or 10 games that kd played and then win in the playoffs so the nuggets are just and what happened with the lakers was very predictable too like those guards were scoring they were they were doing all the scoring for the lakers and lebron was just ba basically being a role player for most of the playoffs getting guys like he he was just like a playmaker and and reeves and and reeves. you know like um what's his name d'angelo russell those guys were like scoring somehow it was working but once you get the nuggets guards those guys are big physical guys there was no chance d'angelo russell was gonna like do the same thing against them so yeah. that didn't like catch me by surprise at all um in terms of the finals i think the teams play similarly like they play through their bigs a lot they both love those like high posts like duncan robinson would cut baseline and like bam mm -hmm. makes the same pass as Jokic, you know makes yeah. not he's not as good but they play They're a lot passer. in similar ways yeah. yeah so but but i will just go with i think Jokic is the best player in that series I was going to ask you. So I'll go yeah. with him, but it would not surprise me if Bam locks him down to an extent and Jimmy averages 35 and the Heat win. I feel, and maybe this is just me, but I feel the the key to that series is Jamal Murray. Like, I, it's not that I don't trust him, but I think if Jamal Murray has a pretty big series, then I find it hard to believe that the Heat win that series. But if they're able to contain him, maybe play Jimmy Butler on him, which would be interesting because he's so good defensively. True. That would be really. I think he's kind of the 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 swing man in terms of who wins that series because I think you know what you get from Jokic and 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 Jimmy Bam's good, but he's he's not he's not going to change the outcome of a lot of these games. So I just think if if we get thirty two thirty five a night from uh, Jamal Murray, it's going to be tough. That's a good point because you're right. Jimmy's going to guard him when it matters most, and. Yeah, that's a hard guy to score on, especially the way Jamal likes to score. So, like, Jamal likes to bully guys, and you can't bully Jimmy. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'll be curious, too, like, how the Heat defend um, Jokic, because mm -hmm. we've seen a lot not putting your big on him, like putting... Yeah, with Anthony Davis. Yeah, they could even put like a guy like Kevin Love on him and let Bam rove. Um, but the Nuggets can put lineups out there that are just five shooters. So like, where is Bam roving off of? You know, if if they take like Bruce Brown off the floor, who's honestly an okay shooter, and then they just go like five of their best shooters, the Nuggets have the best combination to me of size plus shooting, and that's why I like them the most. Like, they just have it in spades. Most teams, when they get big, you don't get, like, the guard skills. But the Nuggets have, like, so much shooting across that roster. It's insane. So, yeah, I, li I like the Nuggets. Yeah. No, me too. Do you have a – if you had to pick games, do you think it's a game seven? Is that – are we going to – I hope so, man. I do. I think six or seven. Like, I think that's going to be a really competitive series. And I really hope we get a good one. Yeah. No, I'd be shocked it's not a very close series unless there's a catastrophic injury to – yeah, one of Kyle's best. gonna have one game. Kyle Lowry will win one game for the Heat yeah. in, the playoff, in the finals. You just know it. 
Yeah, no. If he, I, I'd be really happy just for him. I think I'm gonna, I'm, I'm a big Joe, a Jokic guy. So, um, and I just never really like the Heat. So, um, but I think if Kyle were to win a ring, that'd be really interesting, and maybe supplant him as a Hall of Famer, which would be kind of an interesting yeah. thing. Although he hasn't been as big, obviously, with this team. Um, and now before before I let you go, because you talked about at the beginning how you started with Canada about basketball, I think it's good to to end off with. It obviously um, the men's team has uh, the FIBA World Cup this summer. Um, it's a way for them to qualify for the Olympics as well. Um, they have a pretty tough group, honestly, um, with France and Latvia um, in their opening round group. Um, what do you make of of the team kind of going into this summer, and and who do you think will show up? Because it's always different players every year. No, yeah, that's the question: um, is who will show up? I think. Jamal going to the finals makes him much less likely. Okay. It's just such a short turnaround. Um, June, mid-June is when the finals will end to early August is when they'll have training camp. Like a month and a half is tough for a guy coming off an ACL tear. So I wouldn't count on Jamal being there. I would count on SJ though. You know, um, RJ will be there. Nikhil will be there. Dwight Powell um, and Kelly Olynyk, like that's a really good base to to start from, I think. So I'm not too worried about them coming out of the group. Like they'll come, they'll beat Latvia. I really I feel okay. strongly about that. The thing is, they'll have to either beat France or Spain to come out of the quarterfinals because Spain is in their like opposing group. Yeah, so that will be tough. Um, that would be tough because those teams just have played together for so many years and, and they know the FIBA game a lot better. But like, look, if Shea is going to play at the level he played at last summer and in the in the NBA this season, it's really hard to pick against that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty, uh, ex- I'm excited for this summer for sure. It, it should be a good one. Do, do you worry that they don't have enough bigs because i think of especially in the fiba game we alluded to it there's no defensive three seconds um and it felt as though in that check game two years ago they didn't really have a big like dwight powell's obviously a good player but do you think they need a bit more front court help for them to be successful in the fiba game kind of like for them to really win it all um i think rebounding is really the thing like defense i think they're fine like in terms of their size, but like rebounding is where I worry. And that's where Andrew Wiggins would be nice because he's a great rebounder for a wing, but he's not going to play this summer. He might play at the Olympics. So that would be nice. Um, But yeah, like Zach Eady is like the one traditional big on the roster, but like, I don't know if he's ready for that challenge yet. And then like you said, after Dwight Powell falls off, it would be nice if they could get like a Chris Boucher, a Brandon Clark. Uh, he's Clark's, injured, but yeah. like uh, even a guy like like Tristan Thompson, like not Tristan Thompson, <laughs> but like in that mold of player. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But do th- I don't do know you, if they will. Do you think guys like, because they have a bunch of young guys that have broken into the league in the past year or two with like a Ben Matherin, Nemhard. Um, do you think those kind of players might show up for Canada, even though they weren't on like the the court? Was it fourteen or twelve? I forget that um, was made a, yeah. a couple years ago. 
Yeah, like they they've been asked about this and they said that like when that 12 player core was made, those guys weren't in the league, so they didn't really have an opportunity to. So I I think there's certainly a chance, although the pace like Sharp is not gonna play. Yeah. And the Pacers guys who you just mentioned, like Randy Carlisle had a weird quote about letting his players play for Team Canada, where he was like it can be a great opportunity, but if you're not getting any playing time, then how much are you really learning? Yeah. So like that was like, uh, that that kind of caught me off guard and like, okay, yeah. maybe they don't want their guys going. Um, I know I, I know for sure um Matherin really wants to. I think Nemhard does too. So Nimhard played for yeah. I he played here. I actually saw him like what yeah. was it five years ago or something when he played in Ottawa. So yeah. Right. Yeah, he's played for Nick Nurse, so I don't know. It's it's really hard to say because it would be somewhat surprising to me if they chose those guys this summer over like the Scrub Brothers or Cassius Robertson, who've like yeah. helped build the program and helped them qualify for these games. Um, but at the same time, you probably should just go with skill over yeah. everything else. Yeah. But Nick Nurse is a bit of a stubborn guy. I think he has a lot of power over there. Yeah. So I think it's the same with like the Andrew Wiggins situation where Wiggins is like, I'll play Olympics, but not anything else. I think Nurse would be like, no, you're not getting away with that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Okay. Though. I don't know. What, what about I'm thinking of Dylan Brooks because he's obviously much maligned. Um and I know you've written about him, but what are the chances? I know he's a free agent, but he'd probably have a contract by then. What are the chances he'd play for Canada? Because he hasn't played since that core was made, but he has played for right. Canada before. He told me straight up that if he has a contract by then, he'll play. Oh, wow. Um, obviously, the Memphis situation makes it like less likely he'll have a contract on day one of free agency. But still, like I'm it's sure basically a month. To, to before training camp starts i think there will be real interest with dylan brooks i think he's a really good nba player a lot of teams want him memphis was stupid for what they did um so i think there's a good shot he's there but like honestly his yeah. importance is not i think like you have lou dort on the roster for sure yeah i think how much can those guys play together you know so yeah. i'm not like dylan brooks is the be all end all mm-hmm I guess okay. Before I let you go, what if you had to guess right now who's the starting lineup for Canada at the FIBA World Cup? Okay, yeah, I think it's um, I think it's SGA for sure, RJ Barrett for sure, Dwight Powell, and for sure Kelly Olynyk. The only guy that's maybe is like the two guard. It is a little harder to say. Um, I would go with Nikhil because those guys, they're cousins. They legit yeah. know how to play yeah. together as a backcourt. They looked good doing it last summer. But like a Dort or a Brooks could definitely earn that spot, I would think, in the right matchup. Um, so, yeah, who knows? Well, Oren, thanks so much for, for taking the time and coming on. I really appreciate it. I just wanted to give you the floor. Is there anything you're working on? going forward that people should uh, keep their eyes out for? Uh, nothing that like I really want to announce right now, but just 
just going to be doing some NBA, some WNBA, maybe some other, definitely a lot of Canada basketball once awesome. July global jam hits. Yep. The, the draft will try to do some stuff around Canadians in the draft. And, and um, yeah, when the team goes to the, the, the worlds, I'll be covering that in some capacity. So are you going really to really to plug? I wish no. Oh, okay, I try. Trust me, but uh, no one wants to send me over there. Yeah, it's only. Green. <laughs> but I'll probably be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not many, not many people. It sounds like we'll be going, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll probably be writing from here or something. But yeah, you can follow me at Twitter at Orin Weisfeld to if you want to keep up with that stuff. Well, thank you so much, Orin. I really had a great time, and uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time and coming on the podcast. No, me too. I had a had a nice time and thanks for having me. Congrats on on the growth of the podcast. I've seen all the guests you've been getting and the conversations you've been having. So keep up the great work. It looks like it's going well for you these days. So yeah. Yeah, yeah thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And uh that, that means a lot. And yeah, for for listeners, there's definitely uh more people um on, on the horizon and more episodes coming out. So stay tuned and uh yeah, thank you so much.